Hey everyone, welcome to the Grow with Cora podcast where we interview marketers on how and why they use Cora. I am your host, JD Prater. And today's guest has been kidnapped twice and is the host of one of the most popular podcasts in the iTunes store with over 5 million listeners a month. Jordan Harbinger, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure getting to know you and I've been a Quora user forever. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like being tapped on the shoulder in a way, right? Like, <laughs> oh, oh, this platform I like thinks I'm special too. Oh, I'll pat myself on the back for a few minutes. You have been knighted. I dub thee Sir Jordan Harbinger. Of Quora. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, hold on a second. You've been kidnapped twice. Before we get into Cora, like twice. Are, are you just making bad choices? Are you? Yes. Just, yes. yes. <laughs> just bad choices. Uh, there's. So when I was the first time, I was 20. I was in Mexico City. I lived there. I couldn't afford anything good, so I was working for a nonprofit. And they were like, "Yeah, we found a place for you to stay." I was like, "Cool." It's the roof of this person who works here's parents' house. It's a little bit far outside the city. I'm like, whatever, I don't care. So I had to take these, Mexico has these school buses that are painted with big murals. And they're sort of like independent freelance buses. And the one with the giant Mariah Carey mural was the one I'd always take to and from. Well, they're all like, they all have giant Mariah Carey murals <laughs> airbrushed on there. But like the one, I just missed one and I was like, screw it. I'm going out at night. I'm going to take a taxi. And I got into their green Volkswagen Beetle, which is Mexico City's famous for these green Volkswagen Beetles from like 1968 as taxis. Well, this turned out to be a fake taxi. And it started taking me further and further outside Mexico City and I got in a physical altercation with the driver. This is before mobile phones, thank goodness, because he could have called for backup, but more importantly, I would have been distracted. And since I wasn't distracted, I was thinking, we're not going to where I want to go, and this guy just thinks I'm a gringo who doesn't know where he is, and we're going to the hood, and this is bad. So physical altercation, ended up getting away, ended up having to move, etc. cetera. And uh, so that, that was scary for me. But the second, I was 20, now I'm 39 to give you a sense of scale. It's like halfway through my life right now, which is actually just making me feel really old. <laughs> the second time was in an awesome country that I don't want people to get a mistaken sort of identity of because Mexico, we know good and bad people go there on vacation. I was in Serbia, not Siberia, but Serbia. And I, I think Serbia is an amazing place. I love it. The people there I met are awesome. Lifelong friends from that place. Uh, and the food's great. And it just, it's just an awesome place. Former Yugoslavia. That was the second place where I ended up getting kidnapped. That was a different situation because it was post-war because they had a big civil war there. It was post-war uh, by a, just a couple of years. And what happened was they have like a state security apparatus that is just, at the time, was just out of control. And they, I found out later they would beat, harass, rob normal folk as well. So it wasn't just me. It was just, and, and so their state security apparatus, which is kind of like, you could think like, FBI, but like not trained or behaved. Mm -hmm. These are kind of like guys who are in a militia in Bosnia. Their village got burnt down. It's now part of Croatia or is, has been overtaken by, you know, another ethnic group. And now they live in Serbia, but they do meth all night and are above the law in terms of prosecution. And I have, I have a sort of private theory that the reason that they're part of a, a group that can't be prosecuted is because they've knowingly admitted to slash been caught doing some sort of crime and Serbia says, well, crap, we can't have criminals that we can't prosecute unless they're part of the security apparatus, in which case they're above the law and we don't know anything about them. So they've got this whole sort of 
spinoff militia of just psychopaths and PTSD damaged guys <laughs> that are causing trouble. And so I ran into these guys because they thought I was a spy. And that oh. sounds ridiculous, but isn't because I was in Serbia for a year speaking fluent-ish Serbian at the time and being paid by the Department of Defense. So like I'm on some list, you know, and that list probably says almost for sure a spy, watch this guy. And they just did. And then they were like wasted one day and they're like, oh, let's just get him. So that was the second time. Now, again, I want to be really, because Serbians are very proud people and I always get messages about this after I talk about this. I love Serbia. I've been back since, had to straighten some stuff out at the embassy. <laughs> um, still really love everything about that trip except for that one short by, by comparison experience. Oh man, that's amazing. <laughs> Those yeah. are two great stories. So let's talk about your story on Cora. How about that segue? That, that was, oh that was, yeah, that's a really, it was smooth, man. It was flawless. <laughs> that's when you know you're a good interviewer. That's right. That's right. <laughs> now, um, let's talk about, you know, your, your journey on Cora. You know, you've been using it for quite a while now. You've got answered over 400 questions here. You know, talk to me about your, your, your journey. Cora is interesting because, of course, it started out for me when I was talking with Gary Vaynerchuk in like 2008, and he was telling me all about Vidler, and that, that was before YouTube. It was where he put all of his videos for Wine Library, and I said, what other social media are you on? He's like, you got to know how to use everything, Twitter and Facebook, because I think that might have been all there was at the time, Twitter, Facebook. There were probably some other ones that don't exist anymore. Uh, MySpace, I think, was still rocking, like rocking. And Friendster had probably just shut down a year or two prior. And he goes, even Quora. And I was like, Quora? The question thing that I barely heard of? And he's like, yeah. And I, I went, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm talking to people on there. It's important to talk to people. So I started answering occasional questions because at the time I was like a lawyer just starting up in podcasting. People wanted to hear about career transitions. I'd traveled a bunch. I'd learned a language. I'd been an exchange student. So I just started looking for things like that, sharing life experience. And then as you know, the Quora algorithm is like, hey, do you want to answer this other question about learning German? Hey, do you want to answer this other question about how to get cheap airline tickets? Hey, do you want to answer this other question about how to live with a foreign family as an exchange student? It's like, sure. So I, I just kept doing that. And I'm talking like one a week. I'm not talking about sitting down for three hours a day and crafting an answer. I mean, Quora back then was probably like, hey, you got a four-line answer? Good, whatever, just use the platform. Now you see people raising the bar and writing two-page answers in very specific formats that don't lend well to the quick scroll. They, they're more of a deep dive, and I think that's valuable. So I sort of adapted to that. And I, I eventually took someone on my writing team, Katie, and she, and she was just like, hey, I, I can do this. And I went, cool. Whenever you see a question that's in my wheelhouse, let's just sort of talk about this or look for a piece of content that's on my website where I've basically answered this question and just adapt it, not cut and paste, but adapt it and write a real answer. So if it's like, how do I get a raise at work? Don't, you don't have to call me to get that question, but we did a whole episode about how to get a raise at work. Just go through that episode, craft a three, four, five paragraph answer and put it on Quora. And I started to be like, I don't know if this has ROI, but I like giving back and I like the format of this and let's give it a shot. And then two, three months in, she'd be like, cool, well, you had 438,000 views in your answers last quarter or last month. And I was like, how is that possible? And then I'd look in my dashboard. It's like this answer got 15,000 views last week or last month. And I was just shocked. 
Because I'd look and there'd be two comments, but it, that doesn't really matter. Most people don't participate online. Most people read stuff. And people who love to learn, this is a weird lesson that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, because you're, you're a real marketer, I'm a content creator, there's a big difference. Uh, I look at this and I go, okay, people who like to learn, they don't necessarily want to talk about this. They don't necessarily want to add their two cents. So you can't really be fooled by an answer that has two comments because that just means it's not controversial. It doesn't mean no one's looking at it. You know, I'm getting a lot of views on that. And that was a problem for me as a podcaster because I went, oh man, look at this guy on Instagram. He has 900 comments and 27,000 likes on a photo. And then he'll start a podcast and he'll have 300 downloads an episode. And I'll go, wait, what happened? How come I'm not getting that much engagement? And the reason is because someone who's a lawyer who's listening to you on their way to their Wall Street job isn't like, hang on, I got to leave a comment about this thing that you said on your podcast today. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's not how podcasting and how Quora really works. If you've got an answer on Quora that has eight, 80 comments, you said something to piss people off and that's what's happening, right? Or it's an yeah. answer about Donald Trump. Well, same, <laughs> same, same concept, same issue. Yeah. Or, or Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones crushes it on, on Quora. But yeah. no, I think, I think you hit on a, a couple of really good points there that I want to bring up. One, yes, Gary Vee is on Quora for all you guys out there. <laughs> he provides a ton of value. And I think he's one of those people that do a great job just like you that is out there. Uh, and I would call it like kind of repurposing or remixing their content, right? So they're mm -hmm. stuff they already have. And they're just getting some more eyeballs on it using Quora. I think it's a great strategy for anyone out there listening. And then also just like podcasters, it's actually a very similar type of audience. You know, Cora's audience, highly educated, you know, they're high income. We, we have like a 57% are male, you know, so we're almost parody, but not quite. And that's what we're actually finding too with even podcast listeners as well. So there really is this kind of synergy between them. And then you think about their interactions and how they interact. Yeah, just because you don't get a ton of comments, doesn't mean anything. Like people are actually no. want the answer. They just want to see it. They want to read it. They want to ingest it and think about it. But yeah, you're 100% correct. If you're getting a ton of comments, you're definitely controversial. You definitely said something. And yeah, again, some people do that on purpose, right? Uh, yeah. To get that engagement. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get a ton of views. You might get a ton of engagement, but getting a ton of views is also very different. It is. And the thing that I noticed a lot about Quora, and this might just be my own experience, but I guess that's what this show's about uh, today or this episode. I, it was a slog because there was a month where I went, I don't even want to continue. And Katie, the writer was, and her uh, person who was working with her was like, you know what? Let us lower the price. Stay with us for another month. If you get a bunch more views, we'll go back to the regular price. And I was like, okay, but then I was like, what are they going to do to sort of hack Quora to make it look like I got more views or something? And I didn't know if there was a way to do that. So I actually emailed Quora support and I was like, are there ways where I can get more views that are unorthodox? <laughs> and they were just like, we're not going to tell you that, you knucklehead. But I was like, no, I'm worried about because I'm hiring somebody and I don't want them to game the system. And they're like, no, as far as we know, the only way to do that would be to drive like AdWord traffic to an answer. And we're generally more careful about that, you know, and I was like, okay. Gotcha. And I don't know what, what your policy is on driving AdWord traffic to an answer now. Um, but I just was worried that I was going to get conned because I didn't know this, these people I was working with. Well, two, three months in, I start noticing that even my older answers are starting to get views. So, so there was this tale where it was like, 
Nobody cared. Nobody cared. Some people sort of cared, sort of cared, sort of cared, sort of. Wow, a ton of people really, 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 really cared. That's sort of, I'm doing a really crappy graph with my hand. You can't see me right now. But basically then it just became a snowball effect. And so now when I post an answer, unless it's a real stinker or on a topic people just don't care about or search for anymore, there are so many people that will find my answer. And orig- again, I thought that was, oh, look at all these people must be following me. That's not even really the case. Quora does such a good job. The platform does such a good job of showing people relevant answers. People don't have to like click and follow you like they would on Twitter or Instagram. They're just seeing stuff that's relevant to them. So all you have to really do is do an answer that is something that is going to be good enough that people are going to go, oh, upvote, or hey, this should be sent to other people who are interested in horse breeding or whatever the hell it is, right? And so that ends up doing well. And so you guys have done a good job with the algorithm being relevant, whereas things for me, other platforms like Twitter and Instagram, I just seem to be seeing the most random garbage. And I just thought, you know, I guess it's different with words versus images or something, but you guys have done a good job of getting me. I said before the show, I get my digest and I'm like, damn you, Quora. (laughs) I want to read nine out of 10 of the things that are in there. And it's like, I can't start my workday until I do. And I think a lot of users are like that. And, and it's, it's more like Reddit, but you're not allowed to be a total dipshit. Yeah. I think with the, with the digest too, I think the more you use Quora, the better your digest gets right? So I get the digest probably similar to you, you know, I've been on it for a couple of years and I'm like, dang, this thing is so tailored to me. It's so good. So it really is this personalization at scale. And that's something a lot of people don't understand. And then you also touched on this in the beginning, starting off with Cora is tough. It is a long-term play. And I really like this idea of the, the, the flywheel. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great. He describes this flywheel where you, it's really difficult to get it going in the beginning, but over time, it slowly picks up speed, momentum, and where it's moving really fast, but the same amount of effort is exerted. And that's really how Quora is working, kind of what you were describing with your, with your hand graph for those listening up and to the right, right? Yeah. So it's, there really is this aspect of Quora where it's a long-term play. There is content. And sometimes questions just take a while to take off or an answer takes a while to take off. But those that are investing, investing regularly, consistently are the ones that are seeing the most success, which, you know, just like you are seeing those things. So whenever you're thinking about it as a podcaster, you know, so how do you think through some of this stuff? You're a podcaster, which is all audio. How are you thinking through the tech side of Quora? So I originally wasn't. And that's why I'm always surprised when you're like, oh, you're a marketer. I'm like, well, I mean, I, but I guess kind of have to be in a way. I'm not a good one. I don't go. So, so here's what I think a lot of people who you interview will do. They'll go, oh, so what I first did was I noticed that Quora has uh, aggregated lists of influencers in certain areas and you have a blog f- feature and you have uh, these different things. I didn't do any of that because what I, what I do is naively probably put my trust in each of the platforms to figure out how to make that platform more useful because that is what you're trying to do every day, I assume, anyway. And so what happens is I go, well, if I write good answers, then people will theoretically enjoy and find value in those and then maybe click upvote. So if that happens, Quora's algorithm will, if it doesn't already, eventually it'll go, hey, a lot of people have upvoted this and read it and and have spent a lot of time on the page, which means they're probably looking at it instead of just like 
clicking close right away. I don't know. You guys probably do stuff like that with bounce rate. You have to. So then I thought, well, that's all I need to do. I just need to do that. And then I just need to keep doing that. And then in certain subject areas, when I answer questions people ask, or when I post about things that I know about, the algorithm will just go, hey, I bet this Jordan guy who usually writes on this subject and has a lot of page views and has a lot of time on his answers and upvotes would be a good fit for this person. So you just start trending, right? It's, it's probably similar to how any other platform does it. Same thing with, and I'll, I'll extrapolate this to SEO. You know, I hired an SEO team and one of the reasons why I hired them is every other SEO team was going, so we've got this thing where we can get you a bunch of links or whatever, or we've got this thing where we know like all these blogs, if they link to you within this certain time frame, it looks like you're trending. And I went, mm. and then this team that I have now went, yeah, there's really no really good shortcut. There's all these little hacks you can do, but they're might, probably going to blow up in your face. And you know, Google do an update and all our work will be for naught. So the best thing you can do is create really good content have people that you know that would be interested in that content, talk about or link to it and, you know, make it long format, publish regularly. And I went like, what do I need you guys for? Oh, right. To confirm things that I knew, but I'm not going to have time to do myself. And they're like, look, we'll reach out to your friends for you and have them link it. We know some good blogs and some good companies that will link to it. But other than that, there's not a strategy whereby you give us five grand and we get you 14,000 links on crappy Times of India websites. And I was like, you're hired. Because Google is sitting there fighting people who are buying 50,000 backlinks from crappy websites. And they did a few years ago. I, th I think the update was called like Pandora or Panda. I can't remember. Yeah, but and, I think Panda's right. Pa yeah, Pandora or something else. <laughs> and, and <laughs> That's so, why I to music. <laughs> yes. Uh, so what happened was all, I remember a bunch of my affiliate marketer, influencer, sales letter, website marketer people who were making millions of dollars. And I was so jealous of them. There was one two week period or two month period years ago where Google updated their algorithm and like three, two thirds of my friends went out of business completely. And the other one third had to like fly home from their dream life in Bali where all they did was surf every day, sit down for three or four months with their business partners, go through sleepless night after sleepless night, trying to figure out how to essentially rebuild their entire business because they had built something that the whole requirement was, ooh, Google hasn't caught on. that if we do all these BS links, we can outrank Comcast cable for cable searches in every major market. And so Google went, oh, that shouldn't be the case. People are obviously searching for their own cable company. Well, let's figure out what these guys are doing. Oh, they're buying links. All right, let's make that an automatic penalty. And so they just got screwed because they didn't have a real infrastructure. They were based on a hack and a shortcut. And what people need to realize is like, yes, you can, some of you like hedge fund level marketers can think of a hack that the platform won't get. It'll take them a few months. And then you come up with another hack that they won't get and, you, and they'll think catch up in a few months like Instagram. But if you build something that the platform actually wants, the long-term optimization over time is going to, you're going to win. Because if it takes three, four, five years of writing good Quora answers and then Quora goes, you know what, Jordan, fine. You're going to be of value here. You're the type type person we're looking for. Let's figure out a way to work together. If I spent those same five years going, ooh, if I answer this and I drive AdWords, then this is going to work. Ooh, if I do this and then I have a giveaway contest where people go and upvote this answer on Quora and then they get a free ebook, then that'll have. I could have spent five years doing that, and then when you guys finally go, okay, all these BSers, this is not cool anymore. I would be at zero again. But instead, 
I started really slow and all the BSers passed me, but it's tortoise in the hair because mm-hmm. now I've got a body of great answers. You'd have to spend a ton of money and time mimicking that and, and beating me at that game. And you just can't, you're too far behind. So a lot of people have to start their business over every year. But if you optimize for what that platform wants long-term, which is never a secret, by the way, then you will win long-term. Google wants good content that's easy to find. Create good accessible content that's organized well using a set of pretty basic best practices. Good. Quora wants decent answers about a variety of topics written by an expert um, that aren't clickbaity. Cool. Just do that. People who have clickbait will get a bump over you every any given month, but you eventually after five years are going to be what they're looking for. They're going to optimize for you. You don't have to optimize your content necessarily for that. They're looking for that already. Like they'll optimize for you. That's the whole point of the platform, right? Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. And I think, you know, providing value, we got a good audience. You've already got the content, you know, being a podcaster. So, you know, I think one thing that I would add too is like, since podcasting is so new, like the, the, the topic around podcasting on Quora, it still needs to be built out. It still needs to be, you know, enhanced. And I think people like you and other podcasters out there, you guys have a real chance here of getting a ton of real value. You know, one, maybe the right type of audience seeing your content, but at the same time, if you're first, oh man, I love the first mover advantage, right? And so being that best answer first, that's going to be really hard to top, right? Because you're going to come in, you're going to like put out this answer that's so good, you're getting a ton of upvotes, that the next person coming in behind you to outdo that answer or to out, you know, perform is going to be difficult. So I think, you know, everyone out there with the podcast, you know, get those transcripts. You, you guys already have all this information. You guys are already putting it on your website. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Now go help the community and really help distribute it and amplify it and get some more eyeballs on it using Cora to either answer the question or also just like talk about podcasting as well. And I think, man, marrying those two together, you're going to see some serious results over the next, like even I'd say even shorter term, like two years, three years, because podcasting is blowing up right now. Yeah. This is a topic that's trending so much where it's funny you should mention that because I've been answering questions on the people that I interview or certain topics like, Oh, this person did a great show about how to remember things. Let's do an answer about memory. And now I'm thinking, you know, I should just specialize in the podcasting stuff because I, I do, I've been in the game for 13 years. There aren't that many people that know more about podcasting than my team does right now. I, in fact, even people that are like at the top of the podcasting game, a lot of them are busy doing other things like being a celebrity, right? So they might have more listeners, but they're not necessarily knowledgeable about the platform. And you see just a lot, a lot of people looking at this, this set of information now that it, it almost doesn't make sense for me to, to continue going with a more generalized track. It, it, so are you saying it's better to do a deep dive in one or two specific topic areas than to be sort of like, I'm everywhere? Uh, I think so. So if you ask me, the internal person that works at Core, but also the marketer, do a deep dive. We had uh, Jason Limpkin on the show who really focuses on like three topics. And from those three topics, I mean, in, we're talking SaaS, cloud, computing. He has over 45 million views on his answers, right? I mean, this is, wow. and you're like, who cares about SaaS and VC? You know what I mean? Like, but podcast, I think if you start now, you're going to blow it up if you really focus on the podcasting part of it. 
right? And I think that's what's so key. You know, whenever I see, you know, uh, there was a question, you know, what are the top 10 episodes on the Jordan Harbinger Show podcast, right? And you've answered your top 10 guests, which to be fair, are outrageously amazing and impressive. FYI, that answer flagged for spam and deleted. What? Yeah. My, uh, my, writing, my writer was like, dude, we just got flagged for spam. And I was like, why? Well, we did the top 10 episodes thing and we got a warning that says next time you're going to get banned from Quora. Oh, what? Uh, That's so lame. Yeah, well, I, I, I get why though because I did look at it briefly. She showed me like a, a screenshot. It's, there's a lot. It's probably too many uh, links or something like that. It just uh, probably looked like, hey, here's 10 links to come to my website because I need SEO. And it, to be fair... I think that was one of the reasons that she had envisioned this as a good post. However, it also seemed like a good post, but apparently whoever moderated that was just like, mm, now nah, you're being a dick. <laughs> well, we have, so it's tough, right? So you're trying to moderate at scale, right? So we're using a lot of machine learning, you know, yeah. to kind of understand and flag certain things that other spam answers have looked like, right? So this probably yeah. looked like this and therefore it gets, once it gets flagged, it goes to internal moderation, which I'm glad, it looks like, hey, we let it fly, but hey, in the future, you know, don't do this. So I'm glad that there's at least this human part of it that looked at yeah. it and said, hey, come on, like, this is good. I understand what you're trying to do. But yeah, it's still really good though. I still love it. But side note, I mean, come on, who's been the top guest? I mean, can you pick one? Do you have a favorite? It's really funny because people do ask me that a lot. Uh, one of my favorite guests recently because there's always like it goes in waves right Rece i had moby on the show and it was one yeah. of the first interviews that he did uh this year uh or about his new book and it was great because not only is he really really smart I, in fact when i read his book i was like Man, dang his ghostwriter is really good because i just assumed you're a celebrity why are you writing your own book that's ridiculous like nobody does that anymore and he wrote it himself and it was really well written. There were words in there where I was like looking it up in the dictionary because they were really, I mean, this vocabulary is stunning. The way that he wrote was really, really good. But I asked him things like, so you grew up really poor and you didn't really care about fame because you were into punk music. When you got famous, when did you start caring about the fame? Because he basically, the, his whole book was about him like clinging to fame for dear life and just ruining his life in the process. And he's like, it's one of those things that creeps up on you. You get a taste of it just like drugs and you need more. And I was, I was sitting there looking at my, myself as a podcaster slash like online influencer, a term that you and I were laughing at and making fun of before the show. That's why I'm using it tongue in cheek right now. And I was like, oh my God, so true. And, and he tells, a, he really does tell it like it is. This is a guy who made tens of millions of dollars lives in a decently modest house near a park, you know, um, does whatever he wants to do, considers his job to be animal rights advocate that sometimes makes music. He was just so candid that nothing was off limits. He wasn't unfriendly in any way. He was quite nice. He was really generous with his time. He was really authentic. And I was just like, you know, it's so satisfying to get an interview like that. So even if you're not a Moby fan, it's not about electronic music. It's about being famous and human and going up and down the roller coaster. And I thought it was just such a great interview. Oh, hundred percent, man. That was actually one of my favorite ones as well. Uh, so if you're listening, go check out the Jordan Harbinger show. That's, that is Jordan's, you know, podcast. Go check that one out. But before we let you go today, we're asking all of our guests, you know, what's one thing that marketers can do today to be successful on Quora tomorrow? 
Ooh, um, let's see. I, I think picking, you know, looking at our conversation today, picking a niche or two, because what the mistake that I had made was going, hey, we have tons of shows about tons of different topics. Let's write answers on all of them. You know, if we have a memory guy, go and do a memory thing. Hey, if you have a celebrity, go to that celebrity's question set and try to answer a bunch of those. What I should have done from the beginning was go, you know, I'm an expert in audio production or podcasting or interviewing. I should start with these and just saturate that area instead of trying to go, hmm, which one's going to get me the most views? Because I probably have a ton of views and tons of popular one-off viral-ish answers where I answered something about, like you mentioned before, Game of Thrones or something. But that's not really generating, no one's going, man, that Jordan Harbinger guy knows a hell of a lot about dragons. You know, nobody cares. <laughs> when they see your answer everywhere on every podcasting question that they go, okay, this is clearly the podcasting guy. When we're looking to hire a consultant, let's just call this guy. Where's this guy? That's what I should have done. And that's the way that we're sort of pivoting with Quora now. So don't try to be a jack of all trades. Yes, you can test different areas, but don't test the area that's getting the most views. Test the area that you enjoy doing the most. Because frankly, writing an answer about something you don't care about is painful. But if you're really into a subject and you could talk about it all day, just dive into those. Because then you can keep it going for the two, three years that you need to really create that that flywheel instead of going, instead of dying every a little inside, every time you have to open up Quora and do an answer and then eventually just quitting because you don't care anymore. I really like that one. That's such a good, such a good tip, man. Thanks for coming on the show. And again, everyone listening, if you're interested, go check out his podcast, the Jordan Harbinger show where he interviews brilliant people like Moby and helps make their wisdom available to everyone, which, you know, we at Quora, always appreciate growing and sharing the world's knowledge. So make sure you go check out that show. Jordan, thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. All right. Cool. Thanks everyone for coming on and make sure you go subscribe to get the latest episodes of the Grow with Cora podcast. In the meantime, head on over to Cora.com slash business to get started today. We'll see you next week. 